everybody, it's Monday, September 21st, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Eisenbeck, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode of the show, we're going to touch on some news. There's actually a little bit of news to talk about, and I'm sure we'll have some shorter episodes later this week to uh, expand on the full press releases. Uh, Yeah, let's just get right on into it. You know, we'll we'll skip all the pleasantries here. Uh, Hey, it's the start of fall. Uh, Temperatures are falling, and uh, that means that uh, things are moving again uh, in the automotive world. Typically, which is kind of crazy to think about, so we'd only be about six to eight weeks out for the uh, Los Angeles International Auto Show, which is absolutely bonkers. But uh, we do have some electric vehicle news to touch on first. And first up is Tesla. Tesla has their battery day announcement tomorrow. It seems like we've known about this announcement day for months. Uh, more or less, we still don't really know what exactly they're going to be talking about. Uh, there was a story in Car and Driver that was posted today that uh, had some Someone from Tesla talking about uh, engineering efficiencies, uh, which is interesting to hear them discuss because uh, Lucid had their big electric ve- uh, electric car reveal for the air a few weeks ago, and they really hammered on the idea that efficiency is what matters in electric cars, and really seemed to tout some level of engineering experience that goes far beyond what Tesla, uh, I don't want to necessarily say what Tesla is capable of, but uh, what Tesla seems to want to do at this point in time. And, you know, Lucid talked a lot about weight and, you know, motor size and efficiency and things like that. And, you know, that's the reason why they claim and at least according to the EPA test that they ran, uh, their car is able to get over 500 miles of electric range uh, with the air when in a very particular configuration that's still, you know, give or take $100,000 versus Tesla's updated EPA test in the Model S, which gets 400. Now, this new battery day thing, you know, leads people to some different conclusions. One is that Tesla is going to be using a new battery chemistry that is cheaper to cheaper and faster to produce and better for the environment. I think it's called CATL. Um, these are the kinds of batteries that they want to be using in the Chinese market cars, uh, but will probably be rolling out all over the world. Uh, basically, they're trying to eliminate cobalt from the battery itself and, you know, eliminating that, which is a particularly hazardous thing to collect and slam into these batteries. Uh, You know, it's going to be a better thing, but, you know, there's still, you know, plenty of rare earth minerals inside of these things that uh, are still rather costly to get. And, you know, maybe Tesla's figured out, maybe they haven't. Who who really knows? The other thing that people have talked about is the encoding, the, you know, the software on the batteries might be getting better to the point where they have a more mm, thorough way of better understanding, like, the kind of energy that goes out. Uh, Tesla has routinely touted the fact that their cars are quote-unquote monitored in a way where they can see what kind of real-world outputs are going out of these batteries and into the motors and what kind of drag these motors are taking on them. And it's, you know, caused them to redesign many of their elements of their vehicles over the years that, you know, has greatly increased the range and performance of these cars and makes, you know, a notable difference in the end. I think they were saying that, like, uh, 
It's been like, what, a 40% increase in battery range from the first Model S's in 2013 uh, to the Model S's that we have today. So, you know, it's not for nothing. So we will see tomorrow. Um, I think it's going to be a later in the evening announcement. So uh, I will do my best to post some things about it. Another EV related news story before we talk about a few other things is, well, that Volkswagen, that little company from Germany, the little company that could, uh, they have a new electric vehicle announcement later this month, or sorry, not later this month, later this week, uh, regarding the ID4. Now, if that name sounds familiar, the ID4 is basically the crossover version of the ID3 in the same way that, you know, the, uh, ID3 is kind of like a golf replacement of sorts. The ID4 would kind of sort of be a Tiguan replacement here in the US. Although I think the Tiguan is actually a little bit larger in overall size and dimensions, but uh, nevertheless, the point still stands that we've known about this crossover for a while. Volkswagen's shown off various, you know, prototypes, things like that. And presumably what this announcement's gonna be is when the vehicle is going to go on sale, they're saying that you're going to, going to be able to start reserving your ID4 after the announcement tomorrow or later this week. Uh, I think it's deposits of like a hundred bucks or something like that to do it, which you know, all things considered, is fairly affordable. Um, but you know, it'll be announcements about price, presumably range, what kind of option configurations you can get, so on and so forth. What's interesting about this, of course, is that the ID3 is now on sale in Europe and early reviews of the ID3 have gone out and things have been, I'm gonna use the words most, mostly positive. Yeah, maybe. Um, the ID3, you know, I think a lot of people talk a lot about how much they like the styling of the car. A lot of people have talked about how much they like the interior uh, dimensions and space. Um, a lot of people have touched on uh, that it is, you know, re relatively fun to drive, um, especially considering that it is a rear engine, rear wheel drive. Uh, not quite performance hatchback, but, you know, in some respects, it, it holds its own to the Golf and the GTI in its own special way. Um, but where things kind of start to fall apart is in the infotainment system. Apparently it's very buggy and not super well designed compared to other other ones out there. Um, it's it's not exactly not exactly perfect. The other big thing is that uh, is that uh, the car you know still has some refinement issues that needed to be sorted out and presumably will in the next year or so. I think the big question is how much of what's in the ID4 is based on the ID3 and has learned from the ID3 process because here in North America, uh, they're gonna be building the ID4s in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And that plant has been building what? The, uh, the Atlas and the Atlas Cross or the Cross Atlas or whatever the hell they call it, the shorter, the two-world Atlas, as well as the American Passat. And do they do the Tiguan there too? I don't remember, but anyway, uh, it's it's a it's a factory that, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, 
it's cool to know and think about the fact that a very important vehicle is going to be built in the United States uh, in a factory in Tennessee, um, that this thing is really going to push into a marketplace that seemingly doesn't really exist so far. Um, and by that, I mean um, most measures have pegged the ID4 at somewhere around 35-ish thousand dollars, 35 to $37,000 before tax incentives uh, with its smallest battery option, which I think is in the 50 to 70 kilowatt hour range. Um, you know, that means that the actual all-electric range of the vehicle would be, you know, less than 200 miles. But if you're able to get a reasonably priced, you know, small electric crossover for, you know, 30 grand or so, you know, I, I'd consider that a pretty square deal, all things considered. Um, the other question is, you know, here in North America, are they going to be selling it only as a dual motor big battery setup? Or is that cheaper version going to lead the way? Um, in Europe, you know, they don't really get the kind of weather that we have here. Um, but at the same time, we're just as, as obsessed with all-wheel drive in the United States as what most of Europe is. And, you know, saying that this is a rear-engine, rear-wheel drive crossover might not be the best way to move these things off dealership floors. And I think a kind of a third thing about the ID4 is that it's really going to require a massive reinvestment in Volkswagen dealers uh, to help move these things. Uh, I'm thinking of both of the local Volkswagen dealers here in Grand Rapids and how woefully unprepared they must be for a vehicle like this to be on their lot uh, sometime by the end of this year or into early next year. Uh, as far as I can tell, there's no electric vehicle chargers. Uh, they still are using the old blue and white Volkswagen uh, signs. Uh, one of these dealerships, uh, one that I have purchased many a Volkswagen part at uh, growing up, you know, has Volvo and Mercedes-Benz stuff attached to it, which is great, but, like, it was built in the 90s, and it just doesn't seem, I don't know, right for where we're at now in 2020, let alone the other one that my family has purchased really an obscene number of vehicles with. It's also got uh, Nissan and Mitsubishi car sales attached to it. Uh, that dealership, I believe, was built in the 1960s, and that place is nuts compared to, you know, some of the other places uh, around the city. But yeah, it's it's a car that's just going to require just a massive change for Volkswagen on the whole. And I'm really interested to see where things go because I just don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect. And maybe that's a good thing. Uh, if anything, I think I'm expecting the worst, which is that here in North America, we're going to get a version that's, you know, $40,000 with less than 200 miles of range. And, you know, you're stuck with all these stupid options that, you know, nobody really cares about. I just want a affordable four-door crossover, even though I'd rather have the ID3, uh, that just gets, you know, 210, 250 miles of range. That'd be perfect. I'd love it. It would be so great. Uh, but we will see what happens. Now, switching gears into a different segment of vehicles, Land Rover, the Defender. Hey, you guys know that thing, right? Uh, press, uh, 
tests. I don't really know what you want to call it. First drives. It's crazy to think about. The Defender's been out for a while. Uh, I've seen many a Defender sold and on the road and being driven by private citizens. Uh, but the first of the Defenders are now getting in the hands of the press. And a lot of this has to do with COVID. And COVID has messed pretty much everything up. Uh, but the first of the Defenders are out on the streets. And uh, reviews have been, you know, pretty darn good. But something that slid under the radar until today when I was watching the Kelly Blue Book review is that they announced pricing on the Defender 90. Uh, the Defender 90 starts just a hair under $47,000 before destination. So give or take, it's like... 47 grand. We'll just say that uh, with destination fees and really seems to come off as a smacking good deal compared to the Bronco and the Wrangler to a greater extent uh, simply because, well, you know, the hill I'm willing to die on, as I've tweeted today, is that it is going to be a much more civilized vehicle for day-to-day -day use uh, just strictly in terms of uh, NVH out on the highway, and that is something that is very, very important to me. Uh, this new Defender 90, modestly equipped with the things that I deem uh, of utmost importance, which is, you know, the six seat configuration, uh, heated, a fully heated front row with the heated steering wheel uh, and the necessary off-road pack, but leaving the air suspension off the vehicle, uh, which I guess you can't do on the 110, which is kind of interesting. Uh, anyway, that whole configuration rings up for about 50, a little over 55 grand, which is give or take exactly uh, what a family member paid for their Rubicon. And you know, as much as the Rubicon is nice, and I can 100% see why somebody would pick that particular Jeep over many others, I just, I can't fathom spending 55 grand on something that is that loud out on the road, uh, that is that uncivilized as a day-to-day -day vehicle. I, I just can't get there. Not, not for 55 grand. That is absolutely crazy. Now, granted, the Bronco is something that is still a bit of a wild card. Uh, both it and the Defender will have a turbocharged inline-four engine as the base engine. Uh, the Ford's got the 10-speed automatic. I think the Defender's got an 8-speed. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's really a battle of what you think is worth it and what you put a large amount of importance on. And, you know, I like the Bronco a lot. The Wrangler's fine, uh, but the Defender just is the bee's knees for me, just because it's quiet and comfortable and luxurious, and it just, I don't know, it fits the bill in a way that others don't. But it's very strange that the 90 kind of slid under the radar. And really, you know, I guess, I'm assuming a primary reason for that is, you know, Land Rover's probably gone, eh, we're not going to sell too many of these three-door Defenders compared to the four-door model, but, uh, I don't know. I think the 90 looks better too. That's just me. I don't know. I, I might be crazy, but uh, yeah, that's the car news so far for today. Oh, I guess there's one more thing. Uh, Nissan, Nissan. Hey, that's a brand. Nissan rolled out a 40th anniversary of their four-door sports car, the Maxima. Remember that car? Holy cow. The Maxima is still around. Uh, it's a special edition that really... Well, it's based off the Platinum model, which is already a very luxurious vehicle to begin with. The 40th anniversary is receiving this uh, 
stylized update, mostly in the interior, that uh, focuses on these uh, red, I don't know, Bordeaux, burgundy seats. They're really nice quilted leather with a 40th anniversary uh, emblem uh, embroidered into the back of the seat. Uh, then it's getting these specialized gauges that are supposed to kind of bring back some of the uh, look and feel of 90s Maximas that, uh, you know, reminds me a lot of the ones that my grandpa had. I've been trying to remember how many Maximas my grandfather had at one point, and I think it's six. I might be wrong. It's, it's somewhere between four and seven. <laughs> but uh, he's had quite a few. And, you know, I do like the current Maxima a decent amount. You know, if anything, it's maybe a little too big to continue to live up to the 40 SC philosophy that's been around for a long time. Uh, but the Altima kind of invaded the space that the Maxima had been in for quite some time. And... Yeah, it's, it's just an interesting reflection, I guess, on where Nissan seems to think the car market should be at, which is largely that there should still be a car market, and I think they are 100% right. Um, but also, you know, placing money on a car that hasn't really received any updates since, what, 2015, 14, 15? Uh, a car that just really doesn't seem to uh, have a whole lot of relevancy in... 2020 and to get this expensive leather package uh, with all these special details uh, just seems like a very interested added cost to the car but uh, yeah it's a thing that exists and you can go out and buy it uh, presumably before the end of the year well anyway car culture time and uh, I wanted to give you an update uh, I guess there's also kind of car whatever on my uh it's an update on my 2011 Chevrolet Volt. Uh, I've had the car now for just over two months and been keeping a little bit of a closer eye on the amount of gasoline and uh, electric stuff that I've been using over the past month. Uh, the car had ended up rolling, I think it was just over 800 miles, right around 800, let's just call it 800. And the car got just over 100 miles per gallon. I think it ended up somewhere around 110. Uh, but we bought, you know, what was it? It was like 20 some odd dollars worth of gas, 24. Um, clearly, I have not been tracking this as well as what I thought. But, you know, less than $30 in gasoline to drive 800 miles, you know, seems like a pretty good deal. Uh, the car has been largely without fault, but you know, it now being fall, we've been on the teetering edge of quickly cooling weather here in Michigan. And it's been very interesting to see how, what's a good way to say this, how things change in terms of the performance of the car day to day. Uh, I guess first thing to kind of touch on is charging. Uh, charging seems to have gotten a little more stable in terms of uh, how many miles you pull down from, you know, plugging it into the wall. The kilowatt hours lost in terms of heat have basically disappeared. Um, there's still, I think, a little bit of losses here and there, but I seem to be getting at least four miles 
per hour on the uh, traditional 120 volt wall socket. Uh, whereas in the summertime, peak of the summertime, uh, sometimes three would be hard to get depending on what kind of conditions were going on outside. Uh, that's been pretty interesting. Now that being said, I think if I'm understanding things correctly, as it continues to get colder, uh, that might also begin to slow down again because the car has to also keep up with uh, keeping the battery warm enough uh, to get that electricity in there just as efficiently as it does when it's hot and needs to cool itself down. So weird how that works sometimes. Uh, speaking of keeping the battery warm and or cold, uh, as the temperatures have been a little bit cooler, uh, I have noticed the range of the car going up quite a bit. Uh, the, by the seat of your pants meter uh, on the left of the dashboard, uh, that one seems to really fluctuate a lot. And I think I've talked about this before, where it reminds me a lot of our Toyota Camry, where you fill it up with a full tank of electrons. It'll say, you know, I've got 30 to 34 miles of electric range. And the first, like, five or so miles seem to disappear very, very quickly. And then it's like the middle 80% of that gauge uh, seems to stick around literally forever. Like the going between like 20 down to 10 miles uh, seems to last way, way longer than what you would think. And then it's the last like five to six miles that disappear really, really quickly again. So uh, on my most recent full charge, I think I ended up getting close to 35 miles of range, even though it was only indicated to have 30 miles from the full charge when I left the charger. Um, now, everyone's mileage may vary, but uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Now, the other big thing with all this is that uh, as it continues to be cold or get colder, especially in the morning when I head to work, uh, we do have issues with the uh, heater needing to be run in the car on occasion, not just, you know, to keep myself alive in the car, uh, but to uh, defrost the windows and things like that. And in that instance, you know, uh, yeah, the car eats through battery very, very quickly. Uh, uh, one day I was noticing a full 100% draw on the HVAC system, which I don't know what kind of impact that has directly on the battery, but I know I drove maybe four ish miles and sucked almost 10 out of the battery. Uh, it is a big draw to run everything on the car uh, when it's rather chilly. I think that morning it was just above freezing. It was a unreasonably cold day for the end of September here in Michigan. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something we're going to keep an eye on. It's something that we're going to have to be trying our best to get used to. Uh, the continued issue that I have is that uh, owning this car and living in the neighborhood that I live in, uh, where there are not electric vehicle chargers stationed, you know, at the local grocery stores or, you know, in my apartment complex, it's it's a bit of a challenge, is a good way to put it, to keep the thing fully charged up all the time. Uh, there are weeks where I can be in the rhythm, really get things right, you know, be keeping the car between 20 and 30 miles of electric range bouncing between home and work pretty easily. And then there's a week like this week so far where I'm pretty much at zero and I decided not to go, excuse me, charge the car last night because of how cold it was. And 
to go plug it in on my other job that's about a half mile from my apartment. You know, it's really not a big deal. You know, some nights it's great to have that walk and get it plugged in and get it, you know, 10 or 15 miles before I decide I need to go to bed. But at the same time, I'm still walking, you know, the better part of a little bit round, eh, you know, it's a mile round trip before I have to go to bed at the end of the night. And that's not exactly fun uh, because I'm tired and I work pretty hard and, you know, it's not the optimal situation to be in, but, you know, we'll get through it. I uh, sent another email off to my, my uh, apartment complex yesterday asking about, uh, you know, what are we going to do in terms of uh, getting some outlets available to some of us residents who have plug-in cars and still haven't heard back. You know, it's, it's kind of weird because at the beginning of the summer, when I had been shopping pretty deeply for electric and plug-in electric vehicles, uh, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, I should say, you know, they were pretty receptive to the idea of getting some kind of charger system put in. And it sounded like something that they would be pushing for. But as of right now, it's been radio silence. There hasn't been any work done. And it's really frustrating uh, just because it's, it's going to be the way that people are shopping in the future. It's going to be the way that people are going to be looking not only for new cars, but also new apartments going, Hey, can I plug in my car here? Hey, what can, what are you doing to have a little bit more of a green impact on the environment? And, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just the side of town that I live in. Maybe it's just the, the neighborhood I live in. I don't know, but it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of movement and it really sucks because the indication was that they would probably be doing it uh, sometime within the next year. And granted that year isn't exactly over. I've only had the car for two months, but uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating to say the least. So thankful that I have an employer that is within a half mile of my house that is okay with me plugging my car in there uh, for a few hours a night and thankful that my main employer is perfectly happy to let my charge or let me charge the car for my full shift because uh, without those two, you know, that's, that's uh, electrons that I'd be needing to pay for, which sounds totally fine in my mind, but you know, hey, free is free. And I have basically spent nothing on gasoline comparative to uh, what the car has been able to do. And that's been a good thing, which I just rambled for way too long. Holy cow. Sorry about that, everyone. Anyway, we'll uh, tie things up in a little bow here by saying that uh, this is the end of the show because uh, I'm getting tired. This walk that I've been on has been... Uh, interesting uh, a little bit more of a hilly thing than what I had planned on so you might have heard me get a little bit out of breath there for a moment or two but uh, anyway if you want to follow along with me to hear me talk about cars on the uh, weird car twitter uh, you can do so at twitter.com slash y-s-s-m-a-n that's iceman uh, I tweet about lots of things. Like I said, tweeting about the Defender 90 today, uh, that's my hill to die on, I think, so far this week. Uh, many other things. The 1991 Oldsmobile lineup, always something I'm ready to talk about. Hit me up on Twitter. Be happy to discuss the greatest car lineup in the history of automobiles. Uh, yeah, also, you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash 
salvage title. Uh, we do make it available on a wide variety of podcasting platforms for free, including Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, so much more. Uh, just type in salvage title to your uh, podcasting platform of choice. You should be able to find us and hit that subscribe button. Well, anyway, guys, I hope you have a fantastic start to your week. Uh, I'm sure that I will be talking to you about Tesla tomorrow and uh, Volkswagen later on. We'll see if anything else new and exciting comes out uh, in terms of car news. So uh, with all that in mind, make sure you are driving safe and uh, make sure you're registered to vote. Good Lord. Easy thing to do. Uh, What is it? Vote.org. You can check your registration uh, a lot of states, majority of states in the United States, do let you register to vote online. Uh, so if you are not registered, make sure you do that because time is running out. So, yeah, we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.